0: out there in cyberspace, here, there, and everywhere, wherever you're at, we want to welcome you this morning to Cross Point Church. This morning is from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verses 8 and 11, where God's Word says, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done. And then I appreciate verse 11, which says, Look to the Lord in His strength. Seek his face always. So it's a good reminder to us that even though those words were written more than 2,000 years ago, they're still very much applicable to our life today. And even though we're disappointed that because of the coronavirus, we're disappointed that we can't all be in the same place at the same time, we're grateful that because of all this new technology, we can still join our hearts together as we worship you, the God of all creation. And I remember I said something last Sunday that is a good reminder to me, that even though we may tend to look at this situation with anxiety and frustration, I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have rejoiced if he would have somehow had the opportunity to minister to multiple people in multiple locations at the same time. As we continue to fight the worldwide epidemic of the coronavirus, it's alarming how fast and how far the disease is now spreading, and we remind ourselves that we are, for sure, in a very serious situation, and every one of us needs to do all we can do to stop the spread of this virus. Over the past number of years, and I don't know when I started doing this, but it's been a number of years ago now when I developed what I call our my my three rules for life. And those rules are so important to me that I actually have written them inside the cover of some of my Bibles. And I refer back to those, what I call rules of life, when I find that I'm anxious or confused or concerned about a certain situation. And let me just share those three rules with you this morning, and I would encourage you, if you want to, write them down. And you can certainly take them for your rules of life. Rule number one is a reminder to me that God loves me. Rule number two is I report to God. He doesn't report to me. And rule number three is when I'm confused or concerned, I refer to rules number one and two. So this coronavirus that's out there, whatever this thing is that's called the coronavirus, well, it makes no sense to anyone. But God still loves us, and he's still in absolute control of everything that happens. Someday it may make sense. Maybe. Maybe not. But in the meantime, my faith in God remains strong, and my prayer is that your faith in God would remain strong as well. The virus is creating, I tried to come up with words, it's creating anxiety, it's creating frustration, it's creating fear in millions of people's lives, and many people, not just here in the States, but all around the world, many people are asking the same question. Where is God in the middle of this situation? And why doesn't he do something? Let's just think about that question. Where is God in the midst of this coronavirus? And why doesn't he do something? So as we attempt to answer the question that millions of people are no doubt asking at the same time, let's take a minute and walk back through history and relive some of what has happened in the world before our time. It was 2,400 years ago when there was a war between Athens and Sparta, and in the midst of that war, an epidemic devastated the people of Athens, and that devastation lasted for five years. At the end of five years, 100,000 people were dead. Not from war, but from the devastation of the disease. One historian described the situation like this. He said, people in good health were all of a sudden attacked by what he called violent heats in the head and redness and inflammation in the eyes, the inward parts such as the throat or the tongue becoming bloody and emitting an unnatural and rotten breath. 100,000 people died. And I'm sure there were people at that time, just like there are people now, who are asking the question, where is God? And why doesn't he do something about this? It was 1,800 years ago as the soldiers returned to the Roman Empire from their battles beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. And we now know that they brought back more than spoils of victory. When those soldiers returned from their fighting 1,800 years ago, they brought back a disease that we now believe is called the smallpox. They called it the Antonine Plague. But the smallpox came, and at the end of the plague, I want you to think about this just for a moment, at the end of that plague in the Roman Empire, 5 million people were dead. 5 million people were dead. And again, I'm sure there were people who were asking, where is God and why doesn't he step in and stop this devastation? It was in 540 A.D. when the Byzantine Empire was ravaged by the Bubonic Plague. And before it was over, 10% of the world's population was dead. 10%. 800 years later, the Black Plague, a plague called the Black Death, traveled. If you can picture this on a map, it traveled from Asia all the way across Europe. So if you can think about Asia over here in the bottom right corner, this bubonic this black death traveled all the way north and west to Europe. It's estimated that this black death killed more than half of Europe's population. Half of the population died. And then there was the the disease from 1918 to 1920 called the Spanish flu, it traveled all the way from the South Seas to the North Pole and when it was over, 100 million people were dead. 100 million people. Disasters like the coronavirus are not new. They've been a part of humanity since the beginning of time. And I, I believe, and I've shared this with people, what may, what may make the coronavirus more fearful is that we now live in a day and age where news travels from one side to the other side in five seconds. And it it increases our anxiety and it increases our fear just being able to know that all this is happening at different places in the world at the same time. We, We have access to the internet and Facebook and smartphones and we can access all this terrible information in the blink of an eye. And it's no wonder that people are fearful. And I'm sure that in each of those Worldwide disasters that I just talked about, I'm sure that in each and every one of them, there were people asking the question, Where is God? And why doesn't He step in and help us in this situation? But most of us have asked that same question. If you think about it, most of us have had things in our life where we've asked that same thing Where is God? in the midst of this. And why did he allow that to happen? Why didn't he just step in and stop things from happening? And I've discovered there are four basic biblical principles as to why things happen at any given moment that make little or no sense to us. 1 Corinthians 5.7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So let me just share these four principles And see if it will help all of us understand what's happening. The first principle is this. Things happen to us because of our own sin and disobedience. Things happen to us because of our own sin and disobedience. Let me share an example. Let's imagine that we're out here on Marion Road. We're driving down Marion Road going 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone. Now let's just take a minute and you can answer this question yourself. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time that you drove 40 miles an hour in a 30 mile an hour zone? Or go out on the highway. When was the last time you drove 10 miles over the speed limit and you thought nothing of it? But for this example, let's imagine we're going 40 miles an hour down the 30 mile an hour street. The police pull you over and give you a ticket for speeding. And in addition to the ticket, it also includes a $75 fine. $75 $75 that you could have easily used for groceries or a prescription at Walgreens. But there's no one to blame but yourself. In this example, it's the consequences of your sin. It's the consequences of your disobedience. And those are the reasons you were fined $75. Galatians 6.7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, where is God in that situation? And why doesn't he do something? Don't blame God. Don't blame God the next time you get a speeding ticket. That's not God. That's on you. You're the one who's being disobedient and sinful. That's the first principle. Things happen because of our own sin, our own disobedience. Here's principle number two. Things happen because of someone else's sin and disobedience. Let me share another example. Let's imagine we're driving down, right out here, we're driving down Marion Road, we're safe, and we're obeying the speed limit, and there's no problems at all, and, and we come up to the big intersection at 26th and Marion, and, and for us, it's a green light, and so we're going right on straight through the green light. But halfway through the green light, we get t-boned by a car coming the wrong direction. It happens to be a drunk driver who just went through the red light. Ambulances, paramedics, everybody comes. It hits on your side of the car and you're in bad shape. And they rush you to the hospital and instantly they're doing surgery on you. Your shoulder's all messed up. Your hip is messed up. Your left leg is messed up. A day or two later, the doctor comes in and he tells you the news you don't want to hear. He said, "Uh, we're going to have to amputate your leg. There's too much damage. There's no way we can ever put it all back together. There's no way that it would ever heal. Now, it might be easy to ask yourself the question, where is God? I wasn't doing anything wrong. Where is God in the midst of this situation and and why didn't he intervene? Why did he allow this to happen? Well, first of all, don't blame God. You and I live in what's called a fallen, sinful world. The accident was simply the result of someone else's sin and disobedience to the law. There are consequences. I want us to understand this. There are consequences to every sin. It's not just the ones we get caught with. There are consequences to every sin. 1 Timothy 5.24 says, The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. Sins of others trail behind. There are consequences to every sin. Sometimes we sin and we get caught right away. But sometimes we sin and it's almost as though we think we got away with something. But there's always consequences. It will show up in our life sooner or later. And I'm convinced that most of us could share examples from our own life or If not from our own life, we could share examples from maybe family members or close friends, people we know and love who have suffered in life. They've suffered emotionally, they've suffered physically, they've suffered spiritually. We've suffered because of something that someone else did. It's like a domino effect. They did what they weren't supposed to do, and because they did that, it's made a difference in my life. Most of us can understand that from personally or from people we know. We've suffered because somebody else did something. Somebody else sinned. And now I'm the one that has to suffer for that. So every time we sin, I want us to understand that every time we sin, no matter what the sin is, it has the opportunity to cause pain and hardship in somebody else's life. Now here's principle number three. Things happen to us because God wants to be glorified in the middle of that. Here in America, at this moment, almost a not in America, around the world, there's almost a million people who are currently fighting the coronavirus. And we still have no FDA-approved vaccine to fight or stop the virus. I was listening on the radio the other day and a medical expert came on there and said it'll probably be at least a year before we actually have medicine that will stop the virus. In the meantime, all that we can do are treat some of the symptoms. Now our scripture for this principle of things happen to us because God wants to be glorified. The biblical principle of that is found in John chapter 9 and if you're familiar with that. Or if you're not, go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. It's the story of the man who was born blind. But let me just read the first three verses in John 9. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened. This man is born blind, and it happened, Jesus said, so that God could be glorified in the midst of that. Sharon and I have been praying regularly, and I would invite you to join us in our prayers, that the disaster and the consequences and the pain and the suffering and the anxiety and the worry that people are experiencing because of this coronavirus would somehow In ways that we may never fully understand, bring glory to God. God is in absolute control. Let's understand that. He's always in absolute control. He has a plan and a purpose for everything. And one of those purposes could be that this would bring glory to Him. Now, the fourth principle, one, two, three, here's the fourth principle, things happen to us because it's the only way God can get our attention. Many people, and I'm talking about people we know and love, many people are so busy going through their own life at 100 miles an hour that they have little or no time for God. Let's just take a minute here and think about this. If we were to take five minutes, in fact, I might ask you to do this. I will ask you, I'm asking you right now when we're done with this service, take five minutes and do what I'm going to talk about. If we were going to take five minutes and make a list, actually make a list on a piece of paper of the things, the people in our life that we know who have little or no time for God, I bet by the end of five minutes, most of us could come up with quite a list. Think about the people that you know in your extended family or circle of influence or neighbors or co-workers or whoever that is, they have little or no time for God. They want nothing to do with God. I think if we took five minutes to make that list, that every person would have multiple people on that list. We live in a, we live in a world... It's sometimes hard to understand. But we live in a world where more and more people have less and less interest or time for God. And we're just going through life at 100 miles an hour. I I remember years ago coming to understand the meaning of Religion. Religion is what we worship. And I I believe that most people in the world are religious. They don't worship God, but they worship something. Some people worship their job. Some people worship their money. Some people worship their new car. Everybody out there worships something. But we now live in a world where more and more people have less and less interest in taking the time to worship God. And I've shared this here at Crosspoint in the past, but it's a good reminder to us that here in America, we find ourselves for 23 years in a row, there are less people going to church in America this year than went to church last year. And last year was the same thing. There was less people going to church last year than went to church the year before. And the year before that was the same thing. There were fewer people going to church two years ago than there were going to church three years ago. And in America, it's been that way for 23 or 24 years in a row. There are fewer people going to church today than there were 24 years ago. And when we think of all the the big mega churches that are springing up all over the country, we still, even when you add up all those numbers, there's fewer people that have a time and interest in worshiping God than 24 years ago. There are somewhere around 3,000 churches. Yes, that's the number, 3,000. There's somewhere around 3,000 churches in America that close every year. And while those 3,000 are closing, there's another 3,000 at the same time that are either dead or dying. And yet because of God's great love for people, God is going to do whatever is needed and necessary to do for him to get people's attention. And so my question is, could it be, could it be that God is using the coronavirus as a way to get our attention? The principle from that is from Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Verse 38 says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. Let me, let's focus on that word. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you were worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, my Bible says few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, where is God? Where is God in the midst of this coronavirus, and why doesn't he just, in our minds we could say, why doesn't he just clap his hands and eliminate the virus from happening? And even though the majority of the people who live in this world are distracted, just like Martha, the majority of the world, people in this world are now distracted from paying attention to God. But God is, he's right here. He's right where he's always been. So people ask this question, where is God? God God is right here. He's always been right here. He's right here. He's in absolute control of everything that happens. He's right here with us. He's loving us. He's caring for us. He's willing to forgive us of our sin just as soon as we repent of our sin. He's one second after the next. He's extending grace and mercy to all of us each and every day simply because He loves us. And yet more and more people want less and less to do with Him. And, and yet, what I find interesting, even though the vast multitudes of people want nothing to do with God, the minute something appears, like the coronavirus, those are the people who first want to blame God, and now they're asking, where's God in the middle of all this? They're blaming God for not stepping up and fixing our problems. God will do whatever is needed in order for Him to get our attention. Now, let's be careful because I want us to understand what's happening here. What, what if God is allowing, not allowing the coronavirus as a punishment for us because of our sin? Although if we wanted to take five or ten minutes and talk about all the sin we have in our life all across the world. well, that would be discouraging by itself. But what if God is not allowing the coronavirus because of all the sin that we have? But What if God is using the coronavirus as a wake-up call? What if this is that moment where God now has our attention and He wants to establish this relationship with His people? He wants the people to establish a relationship with Him based on their faith in Jesus Christ. What, what if God is using this coronavirus as a way for you and I to increase our faith? What if He's using this as a way for us to strengthen our faith? Or what if He's using this coronavirus as a way to draw each of us closer to Him? We live in a fallen, sin-filled world. But God is still in absolute control and he has a plan and a purpose for everything that happens, including the coronavirus. Now, when things like this happen, and they will eventually figure out a way to eliminate the coronavirus, and then then a few years later, something else will come up. I'm certain of it. But when things like this happen, and this, will go away, but there will be something else that happens. And after that, there'll be something else that happens. But when those things happen, we need to have a strong faith in God. And we need to have a set of rules to live by. And so even when you're confused, or even when you're anxious or fearful, let me remind you of my rules. Number one, God loves me. Number two, I report to God. He doesn't report to me. And rule number three is, when I'm still confused, or I still have questions, rule number three is, refer back to rule one and two. My prayer is that God would draw all of us closer to him through this wild and crazy thing called the coronavirus. And I just ask that you join your hearts with me and let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for the chance that we've had to open your word and to hopefully in some little way learn from your word. And God, I just pray that as Sharon and I continue to pray, that many people would join us in that prayer, that we, we as followers of Jesus would live our lives with confidence that you are in absolute control and that we would not be fearful but, Lord, that people could see there's a difference in the way we live and the, a difference in the way we respond. And Yes, we're going to be safe, and yes, we're going to be aware, but we're not going to be fearful. And so, Lord, as we close the service today, I want to continue praying for people who are in leadership. I want to pray for President Trump, and we pray for Governor Noam and we pray for our mayor. Ken Haken, we ask that you would be with them, Lord. Every day seems to be a new day in their life. and Lord, there'll be things that pop up tomorrow that nobody thought about today. So I ask that you'd give them wisdom, that they could sense that you are helping them and making all these difficult decisions that impact millions and millions of people. We ask that you'd also come alongside the people who are sick and elderly, Lord, and many of whom are going through difficult times, and they've got cabin fever, and they don't know what to do, and nobody's coming to visit them because nobody can come. But we pray that you'd be close to them and comfort them in a very special way. We ask that you would be with those people, not just here in the States, but all around the world, those who are suffering with this virus at this moment. And Lord, the devastation and the family members and friends and neighbors of all those people who are struggling, Lord, that may each of us in some small way be able to see that you were at work and that through this, you can and will be glorified. We pray, Lord, for safety for our co-workers. We pray for our extended families. We pray for our parents, our brothers and sisters, nieces and nephews, cousins, aunts and uncles, all of us, Lord. Join our hearts together and we pray for our families and we thank you for each and every person. We pray this morning for, we pray for the church, not just Crosspoint Church, but we pray for the church. We pray for all those men and women, boys and girls around the world who have professed faith in your son, Jesus. We ask, Lord, that even in the midst of this crazy and difficult to understand time, when the church is not allowed to gather together, but we're all dispersed Lord, may you speak to each one of us. May all of us have the desire to continue walking with you and and be anxious for that moment when we can come back and be in fellowship with you again. And lastly, Lord, we pray for all the healthcare workers. They're putting their lives on the line day after day after day, helping people who are trying to fight this virus. We ask that you'd keep them safe, give them the energy they need to deal with situations that they've never thought of before. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. We ask that you would continue to walk with us and care for us until we can worship you together again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. And if you want to join us next Sunday online here at our website, you're welcome to do that. And we're going to talk about next Sunday, which is Palm Sunday. Have a great week. And we look forward to seeing you at some place somewhere down the road. God bless you.